welcome to Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. I'm Nathan, your host for today's episode, and I'm joined here by Kim Hiller, who is the founder of the Laughing Academy, which offers improv classes for all ages, storytelling workshops, stand-up classes, and summer camps for kids and professional shows. Now, we know that improv has a story here in Chicago. Oh, yeah. A very famous story here in Chicago, and so I'm excited to hear about that but we're here to hear your story. So why don't you start with sharing us? First, thanks for joining us and share with us about your Chicago story, Kim. Yeah, actually, because I am a transplant to Chicago. I was raised in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, And I have a diary uh, when I was in fourth grade that says, I want to grow up and be an actress, but mom says I can't. (laughs) And that's okay, because I also want to be a teacher. So I finished college and headed off to Manhattan. I lived there for a year and I felt like it wasn't the place for me. It was a great experience, but I was looking for something else. And Mm -hmm. uh, someone in the boarding house where I lived said, you should check out Chicago. Um, And it was funny because I had, I was so poor when I was (laughs) starving actress, living in a boarding house, waiting tables, doing off, 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 broad. <laughs> and uh, I'd go to the library and just grab books that looked interesting, like you might peruse a bookstore. Yeah. And I had found this book called The Second City, and I didn't even know what it was. But when I pulled it off the shelf, I saw pictures of Gilda Radner and John mm. Belushi and mm-hmm, Dan Aykroyd. Mm-hmm. So I took the book home, read it. And uh, when I got ready to come visit, certainly that was a place I wanted to go. Yeah. I was here for a week, I didn't know a soul. It's 93, no cell phones, no no nothing. But I had, uh, let's go USA as my guide, yeah. a way to get uh, travel cheaply in the United States. And it said, if you go on Monday nights to the five o'clock, or to the Monday night show at the Second City is only $5. I was running late because I had just for $10 seen A Christmas Carol at the Goodman. Oh my gosh, I go every year, I, so I, it's like our tradition. So back then there was no internet to do such. If there were tickets that nobody had purchased, you could just stand outside the okay. box office and get them super cheap. Yeah. But I knew I'd be running late. So I went to a pay phone. I don't know if you're familiar with those. <laughs> I've heard of them. <laughs> I called and said, hey, if I, if I show up late, will you let me in? So I ended up in a cab, tell the, tell the guy, hey, I'm going to the second city at 1616 North Wales. He's like, lady, I know where the second city is. I didn't know what a big deal it was. Yeah. I go prancing up the stairs and I walk in and go, they said I could show up late. And the woman behind the counter goes, Kim Green. That's my maiden name. 
How did she know my name? A girl I went to high school with in San Francisco five years previous happened to be working that box office. Oh my gosh. I get to oh meet the gosh. entire cast that night. Wow. I tour with a group of them the next day in a van to a show in the suburbs and my wow. life changed forever. Yeah. My life changed forever. I mean, how does it not after that? <laughs> even if it, even if it's not like, oh, I go into improv and it becomes part of my life. It's like a, on some level when you are surrounded by that and you, even for a day, get to experience that life has to change. It would, I had also never seen anything like that art form. Um, yeah. The touring company does the Monday shows and they're a best of, of the sketches and then a whole lot of improv at the end. Six actors, six chairs, no co limited costume, no props. And yet I saw dozens and dozens of characters and was transported to all these places all over wow. the world, imagined spaces. And it just did, it made my brain go, whoa, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Because when I was in New York, uh, remember, I wanted to be an actress, mm -hmm. but I also wanted to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. And when I got, I was studying at Stella Adler Conservatory in New York, mm -hmm. I thought everything they're teaching me now at age 22, I wish I'd been taught sooner mm -hmm. about how to communicate with other people, about how to collaborate, um, to really appreciate the human condition. So I wanted to teach kids. Yeah. And when I discovered improv, it was like, this was a much faster avenue to teach yeah. the life skills that I wanted to teach. My first teacher was Steve Carell. No, yeah, no, I've heard of him. <laughs> it's a familiar name. Everybody always says like, well, what was that like? Well, he wasn't famous yet. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. knew how incredibly talented he was. Um, as part of the conservatory in those days, you could watch any show for free. And if there weren't seats, you'd sit on this bench on the side. I was there almost every night. Steve Carell, Steve Colbert, Amy Sedaris, all up there on stage. Wow. Um, taking all that in. And then I was later hired at the same time as Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Although, as I always joke, they now host the Golden Globes and I <laughs> host people on a stage my husband built. Um, yeah. But my life, yeah, it just changed everything. And the more I, even today, I continue to learn about improv and the more I know and the more I learn, the more I, I, I know that this is right. Yeah. Um, the way that I'm teaching it is no more as applied improvisation I'm not okay. teaching you. I'm not hoping you get to SNL. Yeah, yeah. Of course, if you do and you go on to win any major awards, it's Kim Green at the last. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, anyway, I, I absolutely uh, adore what we can learn about ourselves and each other through this work. Yeah, and and it's really interesting because I think people often feel like there's a certain kind of person, a certain kind of creative who should take the classes because I, I think people feel like going in, you have to reasonably be able to act whether locally you know on in new york somewhere or whatever um and realistically everyone can benefit from these programs because as you're saying you're not teaching people necessarily to go and and be you know hit it big but in everyday life these skills are important and are used really without us knowing most of the time i would imagine oh yeah it um, to, to address the fact about being, I teach students from kindergarten and we have retirees at my studio. Okay. So no one, none of these people are coming to us with this focus or a mm. background in theater necessarily. Yeah. Um, but yes, any place that you have people that want to communicate, collaborate, um, cooperate, these, these skills apply. Yeah. And even we get people sent to us by their therapists because the therapists know what I know. Um, about the link between improvisation and mental health, which is, you know, anxiety is one of the things that so many of us struggle with. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Everybody does. Yeah. Some more than others. Right. Um, and through this experience of constantly playing with uncertainty in this safe environment. Interesting. And, yeah. So going into it, even with some confidence, right? You yeah, and I go, yeah. oh, let's go do Let's go do a seed. Just give us a location. We know nothing going yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. And by continually and playfully doing so and having everything be okay, it really does help to ease that mm-hmm. anxiety. When I also think about the fact that um, in in some sketches, and, and I'm thinking of like whose line is it anyway, for example, they do a sketch where um, like the director will change the scene and they have to all of a sudden be different characters or be in a different um time period or whatever and so it's it's like a different spin on the same situation or the same experience and i think part of mental health is putting that spin where it's like you're taking something you're taking challenges that have happened or negative experiences and you're putting a spin on it to what can i learn from this and how can i grow and how can i use this to better my world and the world in general in so many ways, if we can laugh at that which scares us, we diffuse its power, mm. right? Yeah. Um, and that's what I love about a, a professional comedian, too, who does that, who yeah, tackles yeah. Um, what, the things that we're all afraid of and p- finds the way to laugh at them. It's, yeah. it, it's healthy for all of us. Is there benefit to um, doing improv classes when it comes to bowling? Because I know that bowling is a big issue, and especially with students, it seems like it's so... I don't know if it's more prevalent. It just seems very prevalent. Um, is there a correlation between students who take your classes or take classes somewhere and are involved in the arts and how they respond to bullying? I have this amazing troupe, uh, high school troupe, and uh, occasionally we'll have someone new come in and I watch the way they bring them in. And some mm-hmm. of these kids, by the way, have started with me in kindergarten and they're mm-hmm. now in high school. And I watch their first concern is making this new person comfortable. Mm. They aren't seeing the other. Yeah. Part of the training for improvisation is uh, that I've got your back, right? And yeah, actually, yeah. it's a ritual for improvisers before they go on stage, tap one another and say, I got your back. Okay. My job is to make you look good. Okay. If I make you look bad in a scene, I'm in the middle of a bad scene now. That yeah. doesn't serve me. It certainly doesn't serve you. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. serve the audience. So that, that continual training, I really do see how, how it benefits. And also I, as the instructor, again, I teach kindergarten and up, I teach hundreds of kids a year. When I go to, you know, everyone, including myself, we all need sometimes guidance in how to behave. Yeah. And when I go to give the guidance, I just have to apply the rules of improvisation. Mm-hmm. I just have to say, wait a minute, are you making your partner look good here? Like, and, and, but what I'm talking about is a real life thing they just did, but I'm able, because I've trained them through improvisation to say it in that way. And that goes to the boardroom, right? Yeah, it goes yeah, to the yeah. corporate setting yeah. where it's like, and I'm going to actually, I'm going to jump here for a second. There's another thing. Uh, most people know that the big rule of improvisation is to say yes and. Yeah. Well, let me, when you think about a boardroom, you think about a meeting. Let's do, all have a brainstorming session. Great. Uh, Sally's got an idea. I hear Sally's idea. And the first thing I do is see the problem in it. Mm. And I don't even think I'm being bad. I think I'm contributing. Helping, right. But yes, and would um, suggest that what I need to do is hear what's good in the idea. I mean, we're all reaching for the same goal. There must be something good in it. And say yes to the good in it. And my and has to be the solution to the problem. So I don't bring up the problem. I provide the solution. Okay. So, uh, yes, all that training. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, that that really is... Training. I mean, those, those things do not happen by accident. And, and 
just like training for a sport or, you know, or school where you're, you know, writing math equations over and over again so that your mind gets used to that. It's the same thing. You're, you're training yourself to be the kind of person that looks for solutions rather than points out problems. And you do, you do it again and again and again, and it just becomes the way that you are. I call yeah. it, well, I'm not only I, but it's an improv mindset. And that's okay. what I'm teaching to. I, would, I just want the people who leave from my studio to be leaving and going out into the world with an improv mindset. Okay. I'll give you another quick anecdote. Yeah. I had so one of my favorite. I had two second grade girls on stage in a show playing the alphabet game. So we do a scene. Every line of the scene has to begin with the subsequent letter of the alphabet. Okay. Drew Carey plays it on whose lines yeah, yeah, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> my in my house, kindergartners play it. Um, so the second grade girls are jamming. They're already at like S or T. And one of them locks up. She just blanks it. You can just see it. Yeah. And I'm leaning there. Now, typically, a young student will go, just say this. You know, they'll, <laughs> they'll come up with the idea for them. The other girl puts her hand on their friend's shoulder and just goes, I got your back. She just let her know she was there. Yeah. And the other girl took a breath and they sailed through the rest of it. Wow. I'm in tears. There's two things. There's one that that student knowing that I'm I'm not up here yeah. alone. Yeah, yeah. And she cares about me and we're doing this. Again. But it's that other girl. Um, it's that she knows to, to think that way. She knows to say that. And what she's also learned on the more advanced level is that is actually how you're to be a friend mm. when someone's in crisis, mm. right? You don't go in and tell them what to say. Right. You don't go in and tell them what if they should quit their job. You go in and go, I'm, I got your back. Yeah, what, yeah, yeah. yeah, you talk yeah. to me. I'm just right here. Yeah. So um, the beauty of all that. And yeah. I get to watch real life examples of every day. Yeah, that's just lessons in empathy. That, that's really, that's really cool. I, I want to take a little spin here um, just for a minute because I, I was just thinking about this. Um, what is it about Chicago that makes it so improv friendly or that makes it, it this the place that people want to try and do this? A portion of that would clearly be the history, yeah. which all of this started at the Jane Addams Hull House 100 years ago. Actually, maybe even you know, about exactly 100 years ago. Viola Spolin was working at the Jane Addams Hull House, working with um, primarily immigrant children, some of whom didn't okay. speak English. Um, and who also many spoke different languages. Yeah. And it was just to be a cultural and educational center. She was looking for activities and things they could do to engage. She also wanted to put on some plays. Mm. And she started creating these little improv games. I mean, certainly Stanislavski, for example, in, in Russia before that was using it as a rehearsal technique. But this was a way of getting them to commune and work together. Okay. Her son goes on. Her son is then Paul Sills, who goes on to open the second city. So. Wow. It really the birthplace of the performance improv that we know happens right here. Yeah, um, it's just also a friendly city for any performer. Yeah, this yeah. is what I found out when I left Manhattan to come here. Um, it it's well the city itself. It's more affordable. It's um, more comfortable for the people who live in it. The mm -hmm. greenery, the open yeah, spaces. Yeah. That um, I, I, the first time I was visiting here, a guy. Um, at a place where I stayed said, yeah, in New York is the garbage. I'm like, what? <laughs> they put it on the streets. You know, we have alleyways. Right, like, right. Oh, I never even thought of that. Yeah. You, you see garbage, you feel like garbage. It's the alleyway. Um, but it is, it's the, the comfort of this place. And there just is, everyone here is so congenial. I would go to auditions in New York City, see someone for whom we both were like understudying the same role. Mm -hmm. She'd pretend not to see me. 
like we look alike, like everything about us mm. is alike. That's why we both understudy the same role. I come here. I actually worked at O'Connor Casting here in Chicago for a while, auditioning people. And someone would come out of the audition, run into the waiting room and tell everybody else what to be prepared for. Hoping to better them. Yeah. You know, yeah, even yeah. though they're the competition, not yeah. seeing that someone's going to get it. it. This isn't that isn't how it works. Right. Yeah, right. So. Um, so I, all of those things, I think, contribute yeah. to what makes this a wonderful place. I think you you kind of spoke on this. Um, competition makes us better. And I think when we try and cut it down or avoid it or or, you know, are afraid of it. I think that speaks more to us than it does to the spirit of competition or or our competitors, where it's like, if we are afraid to face competition, it doesn't matter if it's that role or that scene or that whatever, that's going to be a problem, isn't it? Later on, dealing with things as they come along. Yeah, in an ox, um, all of improvisation works as an as an on you're an ensemble member yeah and can you imagine if i it, it goes back to what i said before if i'm in a scene with you but i feel like i'm competing with you how can, how are we going to create yeah. something together yeah. right yeah. i have to say i want you to look good it makes me look good it's just like uh well this fact that i worked with these very famous people and everybody always asked me like oh you know you came up with tina fey and amy Poehler. Yeah. i'm like Here's what how I see it. Like I'm delighted to share an alma mater with people who've continued to be good yeah. people, to do good things. Yeah. That everything they do ha- also shines a light on what I do. Yeah. That's yeah. No, there's no competition. I w- I wouldn't even be able to handle what their lifestyle, right? Yeah, it's the given to the right people, and I'm in the right place. Yeah. Well, we are absolutely glad you're here and in the right place because I think that when when I was looking into the academy and, and how you do what you do and, and the mission of what you do. I think it, it's a little surprising because I'm sitting here going, I wonder how she got to that point to where that's why she wanted to do this rather than like, I wanted to be really famous, but I wasn't cut out for it. So now I'm going to do this instead where people might think that, you know, acting teachers or, or, you know, people who have these kinds of places are, are people who, couldn't make it. It's not about making it or not making it. It's about your contribution to society. And this contribution seems to be really important in the right place at the right time and really necessary. It is really, truly what I wanted to do. I mean, and when we had the, we're now 12 years into the Laughing Academy. When we were five years old, I held up that fourth grade journal. And I I was like, this is, this is the thing I wanted to do. And I, and I did know it. I, I started when I first moved here, I went to the conservatory at Second City, but I also was getting my master's in education at DePaul. I knew mm. immediately that I wanted to combine these two things. I wanted to perform. I enjoy acting. Mm-hmm. I, it's, I mean, to play a character and live a different yeah, world yeah. for a little bit is <laughs> enjoyable. And to hear the laugh of the audience is enjoyable. But I don't know I don't know that I ever could picture for myself that, that other part of yeah, yeah. what it went with it, just the acting part. Um, but I, by the time I was at the Stella Adler conservatory, I had another journal that I filled with like almost the the entire journal, about 30 some pages of, if I had a program, this is what I would do. And Mm -hmm. this is why these are the things that I'm learning here that are supposed to be teaching me to be a better actress that I think would make, you know, make anybody a better human. Yeah. And that, you know, I, I, I'm so grateful to have such meaningful work. Yeah. 
and, and I assume this has changed over time. It has looked different at different times. How has your life and your work changed over the period of time that you've been doing this? And, and then where do you hope it goes in the future? Uh, yeah, we changed a lot. So when we first started, I wasn't planning to, I didn't know this was going to be my full time gig. Mm-hmm. I was actually writing for a local magazine and a comedy club opened. I tried to get them a lot of publicity. And then I told them, you, you, are, you should need a training center. This place isn't even open until seven o'clock at night in the suburbs. I'm like, you've got this empty space with a stage. Yeah. And so I said, I'll find you someone to teach some classes. And I'd gotten to know them. They're like, well, why don't you teach them? <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, why don't I do that? So it started very small yeah. and then went to um, schools asking me to come and, and do programs there. And I was at one point teaching 450 kids a week in their schools before and after school. Wow. And then I decided to open a studio because everything was going so well. So I'd do corporate training on location. I'd go to schools. I didn't have a space. And we'd throw, um, we put up shows at this local bookstore that had a stage Mm -hmm. in Glenview. And uh, I decided it was time. I was very cautious. And I um, spent only money I'd earned through the Laughing Academy. And I was on a tight budget, but I was going to open my doors. And I did. And for the first six months, it was amazing. It just went swimmingly. Well, that was opened at the end of 2019. Oh, <laughs> so nothing big happened after that. February of 2020, I'm at the counter and the high school students of mine are working the front desk. And I say, you guys, this has been so much work. But I promise you, if it ended tomorrow, I wouldn't regret a moment. I have loved oh. it. And they go, why would you say that? I go, I'm just saying. Yeah. Three weeks later, boom. Yeah. Um, I was stymied for a moment. I did do Zoom teaching, which I didn't okay. enjoy terribly. Um, and I immediately, though, May, th- or I'm sorry, March 13th was the day they told me you're not allowed back in the mm-hmm, schools because mm-hmm. I was still doing schools at that time. And May, f- I keep saying May, March 15th, 2020, my husband and I went into our studio with just a phone as our camera and started creating a video series. And mm-hmm. by Memorial Day, we released 40 different videos. They're out wow. on YouTube. You can look them up. Just put in the Laughing Academy in the search of YouTube how you could play these games at home with your family. So yeah. we got my two sons in on it and wow. we just showed a small scale, you know, version of it yeah. because I kept picturing everybody stuck at home. What yeah, yeah, do. yeah. And then uh, we threw stand-up shows in our backyard for two summers to stay alive. And I turned my studio into a remote learning center. So when parents had to go back to work, but kids couldn't, mm. I have a master's in education. I knew 450 kids that I was teaching the week before the shutdown. Yeah. Um, I provided them a place to come uh, do their remote learning, but also get to do very safely. Like yeah, I yeah, literally yeah. taped hula hoops to the floor. Like, you stand there, you stand there. <laughs> yeah. um, improv games and and kept us afloat. And then when you look at it that way, just like so many things, happenstances in my life, the timing wasn't poor to open the studio. The timing was a gift because I wasn't going to be invited back to those schools for two years because mm. of COVID. Corporations weren't gathering people for team building. Yeah, yeah. All of my work would have been kaput yeah but instead i had sewn my own parachute before i knew the engine had trouble yeah so yeah it but that's improvising too right <laughs> right yeah and and so i i'm guessing you're just gonna keep growing and oh yes where we go it. from here yes just looking at, at different things that that we different ways we can serve different populations yeah. um we grow you know we've grown we teach storytelling and stand up to adults now we have a teen stand-up class too um we're also working on a class specific for some of our special needs students mm-hmm. to learn um communication through improvisation social okay. communication through improvisation so we're continuing to find like what else 
what else do we need? Yeah. It's funny because in 2018 or maybe it was 2017, but somewhere around then, I went to go visit my old producer at Second City, um, Kelly Leonard, and I said to him, I want to do more with what I'm doing. I don't want to do more of what I'm doing. Mm. I'm looking for that. And I certainly found it. <laughs> yeah. And it's it, it keeps that yes and spirit because you're like, yes, we do improv and we do this and we and I feel like it really is like and whatever we do, the next thing is we'll be ready for that to tackle that challenge. So many times I say to myself, it, this all starts with saying yes. Yeah. This all starts with, yes, I'll go to the five dollar show. This yeah, all yeah, starts yeah. with yes, I'll take my classes to your school or yes, I'll be the one who teaches those. Yeah. It's, it is literally the spirit of yes that allowed all this to happen. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, I'm glad you went to the show. <laughs> I'm glad that you went to New York and realized Chicago is your home. And, and we're certainly glad to have you here and, and grateful for what you do. So thank you. For oh, that. And thank, thank you for joining you us. so much. It's just a delight. Thank okay. you. Yeah. And we want to make sure to thank you for tuning into the this episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. Be sure to visit the Laughing Academy at www.thelaughingacademy.com or their Instagram where their handle is at The Laughing Academy. You can also listen to all previous episodes of the podcast at www.bridgingchicago.com as well as connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Bridging Chicago. Thanks again for joining us and thank you, Kim. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago, as produced by the SATC Solutions Center. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guest. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of SATC Solutions Center, SATC Law, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the hosts and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceedings.